Welcome to the Gatecast and our journey to the Pegasus Galaxy and the City of the Ancients, Atlantis. Hi everyone, I felt it was appropriate to mention a few events of the recent weeks involving listeners and friends of the show and amongst the podcast community. Brian Baker, who co-hosted The Lutrec Show, passed away on the 6th of April after a heart attack. He will be fondly remembered for his wit and humour, and we are still being entertained by his feedback and features on shows from the Trekmate Network. Sean Vandaloo, who, along with his wife Bridget, hosts the Rusted Robot podcast, lost his mother Rhonda on the 31st of March. He released a moving episode of his show sharing his memories of her and the family, which was brave but I suspect a cathartic experience. We also have to offer our condolences to Andrew Wonders, whose mother was involved in a car crash a few days ago and passed away earlier today. Andrew is a listener to our show and a member of our Facebook group and Twitter. Our Stargate and sci-fi communities are suffering right now, but we always have each other. It's a joy to share the highs and lows of those who in turn share our lives, and as is said, someone is never truly gone while they are remembered. Good evening everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Gatecast. We do not have Alan this week, he's busy doing, well God knows what, the poor dears, up to his neck in education and merriment. We do have a guest though, this is his first time on the show, but his second time recording with me. Good evening Philip. Good evening Mike, how are you? I'm fine thanks. Oh good. Phil is a guy I work with, he has recently watched every episode of live action Stargate. Mm-hmm. Not Stargate Infinity. No, no. <laughs> you want to tell us about yourself, Phil? Well, I work with Mike. We work together in Nottingham here. And Mike got me into Stargate and told me it'd be a good idea to watch a, a few episodes and see what I thought about it. So those two episodes turned into the entire franchise. Me and my partner Sharon loved every one of them. And we just got involved in the whole sort of Stargate universe as it is and, and went through SG-1 and uh, into Atlantis and through onto Universe. And we just loved everything about it. And we thought that everyone was a cracking episode. We just got really uh, involved in it. So that's my Stargate story. That's not a bad story at all. My name's Phil and I'm a Stargate addict. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> you better be. No other reason to listen to uh, this podcast. Yep, finally got Phil to join me. Uh, an episode of the show. This is, like I said, his second time recording with me. We previously recorded Trio, which if you've been following the gay cast, you'll know that that's a couple of years away. <laughs> We're not exactly flying through uh, our Stargate adventure. Got to be savoured and enjoyed. Yes, yeah, one episode a week. It's enough. Yeah, a couple of seasons a year, a couple of bonus shows, a wrap-up show. Mm, that's the best way to do it. We'll get there in the end. Yes, it's about the journey. It is well, quite right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty much sums up Stargate in a nutshell. Mm. Until the next lot's made, you never know. You never, ever know. It would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. The year before we finished, MGM and Sci-Fi announced a new Stargate series. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never get out of this. <laughs> <laughs> right, this week's episode is Grace Under Pressure. Bit of a crossover. This was uh, one of the reasons why I asked Phil to do this episode, because he shown interest in the dynamic between Amanda and Rodney and, as you said earlier, the claustrophobic nature. Is it for you to say? Well, actually, it wasn't, but (laughs) there you go. I think it's a similar episode to Trio in its own way, 
that yeah i mean it shows rodney at his best because no one does worry quite like rodney you know i mean he's a fantastic warrior isn't he and it's great to see him right on the brink of disaster and brink of worry but he always manages to use his sort of uh basically his intellect and so on to get out and no matter what hole you dump him in yeah that's the rodney side of it and as far as amanda tapping goes she's wearing a swimsuit in it that sounds a bit shallow but it's there Technically, it was just a bra. <laughs> yeah, okay, then even better. It was actually, you're right, yeah. There's that side as well. That's another reason yeah. I like the episode. Have you ever listened to the commentary for it? No, I haven't, no. Well worth uh, listening to. In fact, I put it on my uh, iPod and I listened to it at work. Ah, wonder what you were listening to all the time when we see you at work without plugging your ear. I do get through a lot of podcasts. Yeah, it's a great thing about that job. That was probably one of the main reasons I took yeah. it. I could listen to podcasts all day. Yeah. Brilliant. Hey everybody, this is the Book Cave, and my name is Rick Croxton, and with me is... Art Sippo. We want to let you know pretty much what we're about. We're a podcast. Our concentration is on adventure fiction, but we also get into comics. Sometimes we'll get into television and movies. But our big thing is books and the authors. We talk about books, about the history of them, and about some of the interesting things in them and how they interconnect. And we hope that people will enjoy it and get some fun out of it and learn something. We're more interested in the kind of books that we really enjoy, and we think that you will too. If you're a fan of Doc Savage, The Shadow, The Avenger, and some of the newer pulp characters like Lobster Johnson and The Rook, this is the podcast for you. You can visit us at thebookcave.lipson.com. Bye-bye now. Bye. was going to uh, go on to tell the listeners of your podcast, you know, I was thinking about it today, uh, where we want to integrate this, because they don't know much about Mike, the man behind the voice. Yeah, beauty of editing is that. <laughs> you can edit it all out. Yeah, Because exactly. I'd, I'd formulated my top five Mike factoids, oh, yeah. which I was going to integrate, da -da, da -da, da, <laughs> and in at number five, that sort of thing, you know what I mean? But to try and let the listeners share a few things that we know about Mike that they might not. Pretty much guarantee that they know nothing about me. Exactly. <laughs> So these, that's the way I like it. So these are some of the things, whether you choose to keep them in or not, is up to you. You're the man with the axe. But I thought of five micisms that the listeners might want to know. And in at number five is Mike is completely impervious to cold. <laughs> Minus 20 degrees, anything, it doesn't matter. We're all wrapped up in hoods and thermal vests and coats. And Mike strolls around the building in just his T-shirt. Uh, okay. so we don't know whether you're human or not you know we all sort of <laughs> huddled together and uh, trying to keep warm we all say god look at mike he's walking around in a t-shirt as usual what's he got blooming volcanic blood or something <laughs> so that's one of the things that people might not know about mike in at number four is a fairly innocuous one but it might be a quite interesting if you walk up to mike's door you're accosted by his dad who tries to sell you tomatoes <laughs> yes my tomatoes. Your tomatoes. Your dad sells them and pockets the money. He charges the money for them, doesn't he? That's my birthright. Those tomatoes are my birthright. Yes, never a tomato in the house, apparently. <laughs> so that's a fairly innocuous one in at number four. But a mover straight in at number three is also, we've, we say this at work as well, you might know it or not, number three, Mike has completely no zero centre direction. And we say that because if we ever say to Mike, Tell you what, Mike, go into Nottingham and go to so-and-so. You always say, I've got no idea where that is. I've got <laughs> no idea where anywhere is except WJ Furs in Nottingham. 
That's the only place in Nottingham you know where it is. That's all that's important in Nottingham. So we say if Mike went to like try and pick some meat up from Steve's house after he's been to the cash and carry, you'd probably end up driving around Nottingham for about 20 hours and run out of petrol <laughs> or something like that. So that's what we've got in at number three. Number two is a definite one. You've got a photographic memory of films and series. Because we might mention a film to you and you'll pick it out. Tell us not only the film, but who directed it and what if it was MGM or whoever brought the film out. So you've got a photo who was in it, what year it was made, and so on and so on. So we all believe you've got some kind of photographic memory. I've just been lucky. You just pick ones I know. <laughs> and in at number one, the top Mike factoid of all is that for the last few years, Mike has had an illicit affair with Amanda Tapping. Oh, yeah, have I? Well, I made that up, but <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was a fantastic one at number one, weren't it? it was a, I, that was a cracker. Yeah. It was started, the rumour was started when she was seen buying tomatoes at your front door. <laughs> and that's how the rumour got going. Isn't that always the case? The simple things that give it away. Well, things like that, and people put two and two together, don't they? I thought <laughs> I'd just throw that one in, if possible, for the listeners, so they know a little bit more about the man behind the voice. You do know you've got too much time on your hands, don't you? I do, yeah. Well, I... You have two days off work, and your imagination runs riot. I know, I just thought I'd appear a little thing, you know, for tonight, that was all. Just a bit of interest to the people out there. So now, you see, they're starting to build up a bit of a picture of you now, you see, with all that information. Martos, black edition, the T-shirt in all sorts of extreme weathers. <laughs> right then, we might as well jump straight into the episode. Have you got your video queued up? I have. Right, I'll do a simple 3, 2, 1 countdown, and then when I say click... Okay, got it. Okay then. Three, two, one, click. Look at that perfect synchronicity. Yes, nice lovely CGI shot of the jumper. Yep. Here he is, the man himself. Our Rodney. Let me ask you something. As a scientist, does it bother you that most of your work, no matter how brilliant, will eventually be considered misguided? Because that would bother me. I'm sorry. With a random crew member, never looks good for him. Yes, with a tash. Oh, well does not bode well. But the Star Trekers mean that, and if you've never seen them before, they're doomed. <laughs> Take the tomato. This is Captain Griffin, as they said in the commentary. They gave him a lot of air time because they wanted you to feel some emotion when what happens, happens. Mm. He's played by William MacDonald, who's been in The Listener, LA Complex, Supernatural, Sight, and The X-Files, so he's been around a while. He also had a role on Stargate Universe. I've just noticed that he can't say tomato properly. <laughs> it took the Italians and the Spaniards to realise that tomatoes are in fact delicious. Good for them. So they've actually tried to repair a jumper. Yeah. Why? If you had a test flight, why wouldn't you just circle the city? Somewhere nice and safe. Yes. So if you had to ditch, you were ditching clothes to rescue. It's like when you take a learner drive around, you take them on a little car park somewhere, don't you? As the car park or something. Yeah, just you know, in case. Yeah. Let's go over an ocean. What is it, turbulence? The inertial dampeners on this thing should smooth that out. Good, you're going to worry when that happens. Not those damn inertial <laughs> dampeners again. Switching to reverse thrust. Cut it, I can drive with just the left part. I mean, you know, normally he goes out with the main man, doesn't he? John Shepard. They're yeah. going down. Mayday! 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 Yeah, but that, it's in. Oof, wow. Ooh, ouch. That would be, he'd have whiplash, wouldn't he? Pilots in it. Well, they did say the initial dampers were still working, yeah. which would give them some protection hitting the water at God knows how far. Yeah. 
But you did see Bit fly off. Yeah. So that's going to shake you up inside somewhat. It would a bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, then. Grace Under Pressure. Season 2, Episode 14 of Stargate Atlantis. The Gatecast, Episode 219. The uh, episode was written by Martin Garrow and directed by Martin Wood. Had its world premiere in Canada December the 12th, 2005. The US got it January the 27th, 2006. We got it February the 1st. The French, June the 17th. The Swedish, June the 22nd, 2007. And the Japanese, October the 31st of the same year. There are a few series with episodes of the same name. Danger Bay, Ferris Bueller, which was actually a TV series as well. Who knew? Hill Street Blues, Embassy, The Critical Hour, and Maternity Ward. Ward. Thought my uh, writing looked a bit dodgy. (laughs) I like the first one better. (laughs) Yes. Right, we're back then. Yeah. They're alive. Yeah, just. They can survive any sort of act. Yeah, we just had the the Amanda Tapping credit come up, so if you didn't know, you do now. We know, we know she's definitely in it, yep. Rodney, thank God, without you. I've been trying to get a hold of you for over an hour. Find out the way and tell her I've made contact. Here he is, Rodney's dad Everybody loves Zelenka. Apart from Rodney. Brilliant character, played by David Nichol. Yeah. And Rodney does, really. Well, underneath it all, yeah, underneath it all he does. The jumper you were flying dropped off our screens. Crash into the ocean. Yes, yes, yes. We... Funnily enough, McKay's hurt, but he looked in better condition than uh, Griffin does. Oh, absolutely. You are. And how are you going to find us? Yeah. Ooh, bubbles. Yeah, we're underwater. <laughs> that ain't good. Well, they did crash into the sea, so they should have been expecting it. Well, maybe it would float. <laughs> well, hopefully. Well, I suppose, yeah. Radic, you're going to have to hurry it up. We're already 1,200 feet deep and sinking at a rate of about uh, 20 feet a minute. Very impressive. <laughs> you don't need to hear that, do you? <laughs> you don't need to hear that. Yes, 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 I theorised it. The 1,200 feet. It's almost the maximum depth of a nuclear power submarine. Surely they would have tested that beforehand anyway. Let's see if it flows. Yeah, and see how far we can actually take it down before we have problems. Oh, dear. Very, very worrying. That's a problem. <laughs> yes, it could be. Radic, the wind's still giving way to the pressure of the ocean. Move into the rear compartment. The seal should be able to hold. One step ahead of you. And just when you think things can't get any worse, that happens. <laughs> Door doesn't close. Yeah. And this is the great thing about Griffin. Yeah. He's been a bit sarky. He's been needling McKay. Yeah. When push comes to shove, he's military and McKay's civilian. And there is no question yeah. in his mind what he's going to do now. Duty now, isn't it? Yeah. All about duty. No delay, no hesitation. Yeah. Griffin! And the bang as the window goes. I mean, it's obviously, yeah, uh, you know what's happened there. Squished. Yeah, true. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't drown, would you? You'd be squashed, yeah. As we've seen before, Rodney, despite his kind of callous exterior, really does take it to heart when somebody dies that he knows. Yeah, yeah, why would you do that? Especially on a mission together. Yeah. He's got two problems here, hasn't he? Claustrophobic and dark. Ouch. <laughs> Could be worse, he might find. All he's got to eat is lemons. <laughs> yeah. Who packed this lunch? <laughs> He's also sort of like making it worse by telling himself he's under thousands of feet of water and sort of talking himself into a panic. Yeah. Radic, Rodney, come in, please. Radic. The commentary for this episode features Martin Wood, Martin Garrow, Amanda Tapping, and David Hewlett. I can highly recommend it. Martin Wood said this was his favourite episode of the season to actually work on. Martin Garrow said this was his probably one of his worst. Right. 
he found it very difficult to write just for McKay by himself. Mm. And there were at times he used to go down to the jumper bay on set, nice and dark, sit in the jumper and wait for inspiration to come. Yeah. And the, the, the beauty of it is he's not just talking out loud. He's actually talking to himself, isn't he? And trying to inspire himself to come up with something quick. Yeah. Because that's how he works through his problems, by sort of spurring himself on, calling himself an idiot and think of something quick. And this scene was lit, quite literally, by the two flashlights and the tablet display. That's impressive work by the DP. Yeah, it gives it that atmosphere, doesn't it, that, that you're looking for. You feel like you're in there with him, actually. Yeah. I thought you said life support could sustain them for days. I said life support would most likely sustain them for days. I, I had no idea the ship would sink so quickly or that the cockpit would flood. That's when you lost contact. If they didn't make it to the rear compartment in time... They made it. Still. <laughs> His transponder ain't working either now. It's just not a good day all round, is it? <laughs> He's somewhere in the ocean, underneath the water. The one thing you like about Shepard, it doesn't matter how desperate a circumstance. He's always got a plan. He always thinks of something. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? Nice bit of CGI work. Nice. You can see how fast it's going down as well. Yeah. Oh. They were a little worried. This was intended as a bottle show. A bottle show basically makes use of existing sets and existing stars, hopefully to save money. Mm. They had to do a bit creative bookkeeping to get all the CGI work. Rainmaker Studios were able to produce most of the stuff, and as you've seen, it looks fantastic. Mm. They gave them a couple of long 15-second shots of the jumper sinking so they could chop it up as and when they required. Ah, all clever stuff. Yeah. And they were cursing these wires that were dangling down. It became very difficult to cut the episode. Obviously, if you cut the episode and the wire's in one place and the next shot it's in another... Yeah, people notice. Yes. People tend to notice these things. Here we go. There, right. So... Cool. Laptop. There we are. Praised. David Hewlett, these long scenes that were basically, he did the whole scene in one take. Right. Then they moved the camera to another position, repeated the scene, did that a number of times so they gave him all the footage that they can cut together. Right. That's difficult to put that kind of intensity into a scene and then have to do the whole thing all over again. Yeah. yeah. We're broadcasting a signal. All it needs to do is penetrate 1,400 feet of ocean, which means that a a whopping 3% of the signal will reach the surface. So, so boost, boost the signal. How much power we got to work with here? He's got the problem here, of course. He's got limited power, so he's got to decide how to uh, allocate it. Yeah, this is when you do the frightening math. This is when you wish you wasn't very good at math. <laughs> Need them? Shut down inertial dampeners. Oh, come on, they're draining what little power I have left here. You do not need inertial dampeners while you sink! Three hours. Who hasn't shouted at the piece of electronic? Everybody. <laughs> Everyone. You're freezing up on purpose. Actually, not possible. We've all played a video <laughs> game where it's the controller's fault, not yours. It hasn't reacted quickly enough to your fingers. The response by the computer, I cannot do that, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Computer says no. We know the direction which the initial radio signal came from, right? So that places them on this line here. 
Now, unfortunately, ocean currents could have pulled them in either direction, either this way or that way. So the area they are in is approximately here. Now, Dr. Bryce here has been studying the ancient database in regards to the ocean, and this particular area is between two and 6,000 feet deep. <laughs> 6,000 feet? We'll never be able to get down that far. Yes, I know, which is why we have to find them before it gets there. They were already at 1,200 feet and falling, what, 20 feet a minute? Uh, yes, that's right. That at least gives us a place to start. Yes. So? Those two scientists, Dr. Donaldson and Dr. Bryce, Dr. Donaldson was played by Peter Abrams and Dr. Bryce by Nimit Kanzi. I apologise to the young woman for pronouncing her name. I'm sure I got it wrong. You got one in a thousand. Yes. Born and bred in Kenya. I haven't lost that much blood, have I? Realisation kicking in. That is McKay panicking in the quiet manner. True, I suppose, yeah. But then again, there's no one to actually shout and scream at, which is another way he deals with his stress, isn't it? Yeah. And he's in trouble. I think that's one of, one of the most terrible, one of the most frightening things, isn't it? I mean, we all hate anything to do with sort of being buried alive or something like that. But to feel that you're actually sinking at that rate, further and further out of the reach of anybody that could possibly save you. And really, the only way you're going to get out of it depends on what you can do with limited power and that laptop. And that would sort of drive you crazy, but, you know, it's getting control of yourself, isn't it, to be able to do, actually do something. Yeah, if anybody can, though, it's McKay. Well, that's it. Yeah, he's the man you want down there. Yeah. Is that really how you want this to go down, huh? You want to freeze me to death? You sure you wouldn't rather I imploded with you, 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 you lemon? Yeah, hey, you're all about lemons now. No. Why? Because you are an inanimate object, huh? <laughs> Got to get the central heating going. That's the first thing. The ancients may have not been fantastic design-wise, the little ships, but they did know how to conceal control panels. Oh, yeah. Comfortable seating. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Just, just whip the sofa away and there it is. That little laptop of his is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> this is slightly akin to Basil having a rant at the car, isn't it? <laughs> it with Taking a branch, a branch down it? and starting beating yeah. it. Deal. Let's make a deal. Got a deal. <laughs> that's not funny. What's wrong with it? His wound doesn't look pretty, though, does it? It's bruising up nicely. It's not bleeding sort of heavily, but, um, yeah, it's a nasty one. I'm going to dial up the seal. Two scrubbers are going to die my body. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> well, what can you do? You've got to laugh, haven't you, in that situation? There's nothing left else for it. Now, Joe wasn't overly happy with the idea of this scene or the background noise. There was a risk that they'd have to ADR pretty much everything. Care to elaborate? Well, doctors Moore and McNabb are here to study the ocean on uh, M8R169, which happens to be under a thick sheet of ice. So they brought a thousand-foot cable and a pretty powerful winch to lower their instruments. Okay. And uh, Edgar over here is responsible for the magnetic grapple designed to lower the F302s into our jumper. And you intend to put the two together? Chocolate and peanut butter. Final result, you know, it looks fantastic. Mm. It kind of does show the state of panic that these people are in. They're trying anything, mm. you know, a time frame. Mm. And doing it quickly. Although the idea of kind of a, a hook and a winch on a jumper to catch another jumper is a bit far-fetched. Yeah, I mean, especially if it's still sinking at the time and still moving down. Yes, I sabotage the puddle jumper. Mm. It's all a fiendish plot. <laughs> she always says yes, doesn't she? <laughs> She's a pushover, isn't she, really? You may as well run that place. He's fortunate, at least there's enough oxygen. 
Yeah, yeah. At least it's given him time to sort of come up with yeah. a plan. Although they could have thrown a bit of carbon dioxide poisoning into the mix. That may have aided the hallucination angle. As if he hasn't got enough to cope with. <laughs> and, you know, the thing about this is, I don't know whether it's this panic state that brings on his hallucinations and saves him, or is it the head wound? Probably a bit of both. That's something I never quite understood. I'd imagine you'd probably go with the slight concussion he's feeling. Yeah. Hallucinations are mm. not uncommon. So the head wounds that help save his life. Be thankful, Rodney. At least you're alive. I don't think he would have died of old age because he's only got two hours left, hasn't he? So he's going to have to age very quickly to die of old age. Now, this is worrying. Yeah, What's that noise? Yeah. <laughs> are you friendly? Or are you hungry? Because I'm pretty sure that this thing is an instant case of indigestion. Oh. It was a transmitter. It must be broadcasting it at a frequency you can hear. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm sorry if I'm bugging you, but uh, but uh, I kind of need to leave this thing on for a bit, you know? Maybe you could uh, tell my friends where I am. You could, uh, could you do that? Huh? Could you go for help? Huh? Could you do that? What am I doing? Well, I'm uh, fitting an alien whale like Lassie. Look, okay, if you're not going to help, then just swim on by! Surely you can recognise it as whale song. Oh, of course. <laughs> you're about to find out. There be whales, Captain. Mm. They're alien whales as well, aren't they? So we don't know what they're like. Don't nudge anything, don't break anything. Well, strangely enough, as they pointed out in the commentary, nothing actually moves, they just shook the camera. Ah. But when David grabbed those two boxes to uh, hold himself steady, he rocked them so the cables moved. Ah, more realistic. The little things are into yeah. that you don't really notice as such, but maybe you would if it didn't happen. Yes. And even if I get close to the surface, then the emergency transmitter won't have to penetrate so much ocean. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Swim. At least it looks like blood. How many times do you watch a TV show and it's obviously the wrong colour? Yeah, I mean, that could make up that is the using on him there, definitely. That passes as a cut. Show me. We started with the likely location of the jumper based on the numbers we got while triangulating its position during its brief radio contact with us. We then estimate how far off course it is being taken, if at all, by the various currents, slipstreams, underwater rivers that the jumper may or may not have run into. We then add its descent speed at various rates. Doesn't he understand there's a time limit on this? I'm thinking of getting a new monitor. That'd look perfect oh, on look my wall. Look at that. Yeah, look at that. Beautiful. Because we're no longer guessing. We now know definitely that the jumper is somewhere in this area. Okay. It's in that area. Progress, I suppose. Mm. We've got a whole planet to look at. Now <laughs> we've just got 100 square miles. And the good point, if it's below a certain depth, it doesn't really matter. No. Yeah, dance monkey, dance. Come up with something out of the blue, which is what they asked Rodney to do on yeah. numerous occasions. Now, this was a little production trick that Martin did. He made sure that you saw the background, there was nothing there. So when the camera spins round now... Let me take a look. ta -dum. ba -da. Somebody's just conjured Amanda Tapping up. Very bright. Mmm. Very bright pink outfit. Obviously, it must be Rodney's favourite colour, because it's him that's thinking it all up. Probably. He might have seen her in it uh, sometime. <laughs> yeah. Amanda actually said she was very nervous to do this episode. I wonder why. Well, a number of factors. A, she was working with a new crew. She wasn't used to working with the Atlantis crew. Mm -hmm. She was also playing a slightly different Sam Carter. This was Rodney's version of Sam Carter. Group, yeah. His slant on her sort of thing. Yeah. 
And she was still only four months after giving birth to her daughter. Right. No, you haven't. You're not real. You are not real. You are not real. Of course I'm not real. This is where Martin Garrow said, as soon as Amanda turned up and they could put Sam and Rodney together, his writing took off. He said it was so easy to write for these pair. Well, they, they, they've got somebody to bounce off then, haven't they? And that just makes it yeah. so much easier, you know, especially those two, because it's a battle of egos, isn't it? Like the way I see it, you're scared. You're a little panicked. You're a lot lonely. You knew you could use some help, so your subconscious is manifesting the one person you know is smarter than you. Oh, I don't think so. Oh, don't start with me, McKay. You are very clever. I would even give you brilliant, but there is brilliant, and then there's me. Every time we've worked together, you've been wrong, and I've been right. As she points out, I'm you, you know. Yeah. You're arguing with yourself, and yeah. even he's admitting that... <laughs> romping. Is <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, ego much. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Battle of the Egos. He's always going to win that one. Yes, Rodney. You're looking in the mirror and saying, yeah, I look all right, don't I? Mm. <laughs> Your mind is creating me. Oh, now he's just going into it too much now. What? <laughs> you're in bed asleep and you're going to wake up now. It wouldn't be that easy. What do you mean? Well, if you're not real, what is? I mean, how, how, how do I tell the difference? How do I know that any of these readings I've been taking are correct? You're not that far gone. No, 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 no. I... I am un unconscious in the infirmary. This whole adventure has been a dream. Yeah, oh, they've done that that many times. Oh, they have, they don't want to be doing that. Especially not on that side of your face. Yeah. Your readings are correct. You knew you could use some help, and you've got a pretty bad concussion, so... Go. Here you are. Here I am. I suppose that's comforting. Yes, she is. Be thankful of the help. Yeah, comforting, as he says. Yeah. I mean, like you say, if anybody can get out of this, it's Rodney. But if anybody else can get out of it, it's Sam. There was a cut scene in the episode where Sam said that she could talk whale. Ah. <laughs> and then she went into a whole takeoff of Finding Nemo. Oh, right. Nice. I'd have loved to have seen that. Yeah, that would have been something else, yeah. Then you would, de you would definitely know he's hallucinating there. Yeah, you know, that's basically McKay doing that. And it's so unlike him. Yeah, to be that far off his head. When the Wraith attacked the city, you were able to turn the shield into a cloak. Yes. Why can't we do the opposite? Turn the jumper's cloak into a shield. That's right. That would hold back the water, yes, but it would take significantly more power. We'll shut down everything we don't need. But it would take hours to reconfigure. We'll take what we need, we'll make the changes down there. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I cannot possibly, uh, no. Radic. I, I, I can't even swim. There's not a lot of swimming under a thousand feet of ocean. Look, I'm not gonna order you to go. I will. All I'm saying is that if Rodney can't turn to you, who can he turn to? Uh, that's a clever idea, John. Yes, that's what I mean. He always comes up with them. You can see why he's there. If you think about it, they're using the defensive shield, well, the cloaking mechanism as defensive shields to allow him to go underwater to remove some of the pressure. Yeah. Wouldn't that have been good in the, the recent Star Trek movie when the Enterprise was underwater if they had its shields on? Well, there you go, you see. Transference of ideas, that's what's needed. Now... Given I have a limited amount of time to execute my plan before power levels drop too low, but provided that the uh, 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 coding is correct, we surface, and at that point, uh, they should be able to pick up our regular radio signal and then come pick me up. How much power would that kill? Uh, I don't know, most of it. Well, that's a bad idea, then. Exactly. You've got to leave yourself some wiggle room. Yeah. <laughs> He's sort of uh, putting all his eggs in one basket with that idea, but 
then again, yeah. I think he feels as though he can't be rescued. So, what's the alternative? Funnily enough, it was this what was missing when Amanda joined Atlantis as station commander. Mm. Someone to challenge him, sort of thing. Yeah, we got a bit in trio, mm. as you know. Yeah. But most of the point, because Sam was in charge, she didn't really get this back and forth. Yeah. Even if they could find me, which given underwater currents and multiple possible entry sites is next to impossible, how are they going to get me out of here, huh? They'll find a way. No, they won't. You and I both know that the one person who can figure it all out is stuck in the back of a sinking jumper. Me. Oh, touche. I mean, you say Sam challenging, but it's, it's just his internal mechanism going backwards and forwards, thinking about the best thing to yeah. do, isn't it? You know, that's the interesting part of it. Yeah, you'd, you know, have this sort of conversation in your mind all the time. Yeah, should I, shouldn't I? If your plan fails, and it probably will, you could jeopardize their plan. You're going to help me or not? I'll help you stay alive as long as possible, but no, I am not helping you with this plan. So my own hallucination is saying no to me? You must realize subconsciously that you need to be talked out of this. I can't even hallucinate right today. <laughs> Get used to it, McKay. Lots of women have said no to it's you. The only person he'll listen to is himself. Uh, yeah. He's not listening to anybody else. Well, the search coordinates. Okay. It should transition seamlessly. It is amazing how quickly they add things to these jumpers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they've got to tie in power, control mechanisms. It doesn't take long, does it? I think they're fudging it a little. Well, it's got to be done. Yeah. And they had a row about this. Some people thought that jumpers should just dive straight into the water mm. from height. Right. And Brad Wright pointed out that if it also was submersible, it would hover and sink in. Right. That's likely to damage it. Mm. And as he said, Brad's normally right. Yeah. We'll go with him. Seriously, if you, if you, if you saw something, just, just tell me. Creep, yes. And now he's getting paranoid about it. Paranoia's <laughs> creeping in. You're trying to slow me down. I don't know what you're talking about. Don't play mind games with me. I am a mind game. Okay. You're not going to help me? Just stay on your side of the jumper. Oh, it's done wise again. Yeah. Oh dear. Now we've really hit rock bottom. Nice touch as well. Sam didn't react at all. Yeah, because that would have once been right, would it? What now, huh? Quiet. Feels like we hit the bottom. Oh, really? <laughs> I would think to begin with, that's a good thing, hitting the bottom, because I'm not sinking anymore. Yes, the pressure is not going to get any worse. Yeah, and I'm not going to go... Although you might have ruptured the hull. That's the problem, <laughs> yeah. You don't think of that instantly, but... I mean, you come in here, you don't help me, you say the one plan I've got is bad, you, you claim to be a creation of my mind, and yet you are in no way dressed provocatively. <laughs> No way, that's not enough for him. Hey, come on, there's cleavage. <laughs> yeah. That's more than you normally see yeah. from Sam. Ah, here we go. Yeah, that's never a good sign. Well, it's always been there. No, it hasn't. The impact with the ocean floor must have created a micro-fissure in the hull. This is the second jumper they used. Initially, they were using the studio jumper. This jumper was built in the uh, water tank. It was easier to flood it. Yeah, build a jumper in the water tank and raise the jumper up and down to mimic the rising of the water. Clever. It's the same thing they did in Descent when the attack was sinking. Ah. Although this time they did heat the pool. Ah, how nice of them. Yeah. I think for realism's sake, they should have made it freezing cold. Well, you can remember the storm and the eye. Yeah. When they were being drenched. Yes. Thousands and thousands of gallons of water. Yeah. That was hard filming for them. And that would be freezing cold water? It was, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You earned the money on that day, because that was pretty realistic when that was hitting them. Make sure we're not under too much water. I've leveled out and holding steady to 990 feet. 
How's it coming? I'm getting his sporadic life sign readings. As in sea monster life signs? <laughs> that face. They should have that sonar being like Voyage on to the bottom of the sea used to have. <laughs> yeah, to look and just search the vents. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant, that was, wasn't it? Now, do you see that big lump on the left-hand side of the screen? <laughs> yeah, we need that. That was initially part of the jumper that broke off when it hit. Right. And when they decided not to have the jumps physically damaged, they forgot to remove that from the CGI effect. Ah. It was only after the final pass had been done, I think it was Rob C. Cooper, said, what is that doing there? And nobody had noticed it because it was so focused yeah. on the jumper. Right. Ah, shows the human. You still have fully functioning life support, right? Yes. Then create a positive pressure environment. What? If you can increase the pressure inside the jumper, you should be able to slow the leaking. We'd never be able to stop it. I'm not saying that we could. We're just trying to buy time here. In order to make death as long and as drawn out as possible, huh? Just max it out, McKay. <laughs> All right. He's ready to give up here, but Sam's definitely not. They had a lot of trouble with the sand mix on these scenes as well. As you can imagine, a big room full of water. All the audio was echoing. Yeah. You don't realise that sometimes as you're watching these things, what they're dealing with, do you, behind the scenes no. and so forth. Martin gave a lot of credit to uh, Sharp Sound, who does the audio for the show. They managed to clean up virtually every bit of dialogue to remove all the echo. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they would have to ADR for the entire last 20 minutes of the episode. Right. Yes? No, oh, that's pretty much it. Petty, arrogant, bad with people. Yeah. Talk about <laughs> kick a man when he's down, eh? You do find me attractive. Physically. Yeah, but I would say that's what he thinks of himself. Yeah. And if you know yourself... Yeah. <laughs> There's always a bit. How do you figure? You don't exist. You think what my subconscious tells you to think. So, really, the idea was mine. Oh, wow. I'm arguing with myself about who had an idea first, me or me. I really am petty, aren't I? And arrogant and bad with people, yes. Nice touch that McKay's soaking wet, but Sam isn't. Yeah. Nice, but still gets credit for the idea. Yeah, and if it works, you can actually tell people about it. <laughs> Just confirming it all. Yeah, that computer thing's still working, no matter what. So, probably military spec. Yeah, you've got to give him something to work with, though, haven't you? Or there wouldn't be a... Well done, Sam. Thanks, you too. Come here. Oh, OK. Oh. What? Out of the way, he's physically sort of getting old. Get in there, lad. Oh. You do realise what you're actually doing here, right? Ruin the moment, why don't you? You're a figment of my imagination. The least you can do is take your top off. <laughs> your subconscious mind knows that I would never be into that. <sighs> you were the worst hallucination ever. Oh, you don't mean that. Yes, yes, I do. He could have thought up any porn star in existence and they'd have been happy to take the top off. Yeah, but he knew he had to have someone with brains. Yes, I am. And I have to do it quickly before power levels drop below 50%. So, that leaves me about 10 minutes. That's it. We've got to have a timer on the episode. Yeah, clicking down. See, this is why I can never have a relationship with you, Rodney. You don't listen to people. You don't trust them. I have every reason not to. Look, this whole thing is Zelenka's fault. I know he'd get round to him in the end. <laughs> I like the way the camera's angled. It kind of gives him a... Not, not an eye to focus, but a very... I think... I don't know. I think it gives an atmosphere of... Because the thing's crashed on the floor and it's at all jaunty angles and they're probably not standing on a level surface because it's all over the place, it gives you the impression of that by 
putting camera at John's angles and so on, you know. The viewer is kind of off kilter. That's right. Just as much as Rodney. Yeah, is. and it gives you the impression that you're in there with him and it's sort of all over the shop. I think we may be onto something. Initializing the shield. Ooh, pretty. But yeah. old Zelenka. Yeah, so now they can actually go a lot deeper. Mm. Well, when he's going to send organized. I was afraid of this. The shield is draining our power at an alarmingly fast rate. Why is that? Well, a cloak draws its power to concentrate, whereas a shield draws more power the more it is taxed. So. <laughs> it would, dude. It's always a problem. It was never going to be easy, was no, it? No, nothing's easy. Doesn't put them off. Yeah, the deeper you go, the more energy you use, the quicker the shield will run out. The less time you've got. Yeah, and then you've got to factor in that you've got to ascend yeah. before the shield fails. <laughs> a lot of people are dead round and go back at this point, wouldn't they? Yeah, we couldn't find it. <laughs> we tried. A lot <laughs> yeah. of people wouldn't even try. I think if he left his Zelenka, they might. Yes, yeah, so his fingertips must be numb by now. Oh, she's in the water. Why don't you turn up the heat? I did. To the seawater. Got barely enough power as it is. Besides, I'm almost done here. What are you doing? For once. Hello. I've got to warm him up somehow. You're not physically here. You, you can't transfer any heat. Doesn't mean I can't get you hot. <laughs> what do you mean by that, things, Rodney? Excuse me? <laughs> there we go. You're right, it was a bra. It was a bra. Yeah. That was Amanda's own bra, which happened to be on the top of their laundry pile that morning. Ah, oh, there you go. A little bit of trivia. <laughs> you never know. That's how it works. You know, who knew? What about what? Well, I am your fantasy. It's only fair you should get some. Hmm. Really? Really? I knew it. I knew you were hot. They actually put together an outfit she could wear that was kind of a bit like a fancy wetsuit. Unfortunately, when it got wet, it just didn't work. Right. I know what you're trying to do. Well, I should hope so. You're trying to slow me down again. Can you believe it? In the commentary, Amanda says, you know, oh, she looks like a woman that's just given birth. You're distracting me. You know, I've only got a couple of minutes to execute my plan. You're doing the one thing you know could possibly slow me down. <laughs> that's a good distraction, isn't it, Rodney? Admit it. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not going to fall for your plan, Lieutenant Colonel Siren. <laughs> they often say that when somebody's dying, the mind will play tricks on you. Yes. It's almost as if his mind is actually trying to take his uh, focus away from the fact that he is going to die. Well, they reckon that when you're on the point of death or getting to that point, the, the mind actually panics and creates a massive electrical pulse or something. And that's why you get sometimes these people that say, I saw something, I saw the other side. Yeah. It's actually the mind going into panic mode and doing whatever it does in those last few moments, you know, as it's shutting down. It's a mistake. I trust you'll be gone by the time I uh, reach the surface. <laughs> oh, hello. Power to the engines. Yeah. Hope springs eternal. <laughs> well, it was worth a go. It was that uh, just for those few seconds of hope. I, I really don't need. I told you so. So. How much power did you waste? <sighs> Minutes. And this is going to have a, a drastic effect on time, I would assume, now. I thought so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Nice little trick, though, to have Sam dry again, as if it hadn't happened. Yeah, yeah, true, yeah. Which it didn't, of course. Yeah, and back in a onesie, or whatever she's wearing. Pardele, to je na hovno, tohle to, kdo to vymyslel, že budeme pod vodou tentokrát. Maybe 
to think my check's getting better, because I know what you mean. It could be the shield, could be the depth. I'm having trouble detecting the jumper. The jumper actually looks pretty good as a submersible. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It looks like it was built for the job. Yeah. Definitely. It's a gore-like tube. Mm, like a really good sub. What's that? Your sea monster. It's at least six to eight times as large as this jumper, so let's not venture too closely, okay? How the shield's doing? Twelve minutes. All right. Let's check it out. Why? Because it's still swimming around in circles in the same area, which means you might have found something interesting. 12 minutes till failure, or 12 minutes till you've got to turn back. Yeah, I'm not quite sure about that, yeah. What's me till you've got to turn back? This is where it's all getting a little bit tight. Oh, what the hell is that? <laughs> There's something out there. Nessie. We're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> <laughs> then go away! Thank you. I think he's, he's just waiting to eat me. I mean, the world's attracted by the uh, transponder signal and it's kind of just circling yeah. the location. And it's acting as a beacon, basically. Yeah. For where he is. And now things are pretty desperate when you're up to your neck in water. <laughs> yeah. He knew we were both going to die. He didn't put anything, so... I don't think of it first. Better than drowning, I think, probably. This scene, there were five people in the jumper at this point. David and Amanda, of course. Martin Wood, he was in there with them. And the two cameramen, Nathaniel and Chris. Adding to the cramped surroundings. Yeah, one of the decisions they made, always to try to use a lot of close focus work. Mm. Force the claustrophobic nature mm. of being on the jumper. Adds to the atmosphere, the whole atmosphere yeah. of it. You don't really need the long shots where all these close ups work. And of course, when you've got someone as, as expressive as David Hewlett. Yeah. You might as well use him. You see, when you look at him now, even the fear and the panic and the sort of frantically thinking of ideas is that's drifted away now and you're getting the kind of resignation. Yeah. Now you can see that sort of kin in now as like, you know, well, you know, there's no point struggling against it now. Stick with me, Rodney. I gotta stay alert. My plan was stupid. What was I thinking? All 2020 hindsight. You were right. Should listen to you. Like to say, with his life, this hope. In reality, I mean, he'd, he'd be suffering from hypothermia anyway. Yeah, shock, all sorts of things. Water should be pretty close to freezing. And also, the head wound hasn't really been properly seen to, so that would be having some sort of a. Yeah, it must have a doozy of a headache. Yeah, an absolutely thumping head, yeah. My intelligence aside, you're wiser. I guess at the end of the day, that's, that's why you're down here. You were right. Well, you were right. At least subconsciously. Couldn't he imagine a rebreather or something? <laughs> that would be handy, wouldn't it? Yeah. Put it on and then just gently fade away. On the other side of the coin, I mean, he's been on that many missions where they've saved themselves at the last second. You're just going to know something's happening out there, that something's being done, they're not just going to abandon you. Yeah. In one minute, somebody will be tapping on the door. I guarantee it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I don't know why I wasted all my time trying to uh, save myself. I will be rescued. She just sat here and waited. So it's not quite as bad as Star Trek, where main guest stars never, you know, really die. Yeah. 
I mean, they have knocked off a few reasonably regular re- reoccurring characters in the show. Mm, true. I think that's something you see in series is more that they're making nowadays in different things, that no one's safe as much as they used to be now. There's no. an element, a bit more of a realistic element to them. Well, it's like in Walking Dead. Mm. You've got to question the main star of the show, and we all know who he is. Mm. Would they ever get rid of him? Yeah, that, yeah. Well, it's whether the guy that writes the comics would get rid of him, isn't yeah. it, as well? <laughs> it comes down to that. Oh, nice. Overhead CGI shot, the two jumpers. Yeah. Help. Okay, Griffin, do you copy? Shepard. Hey, buddy. Say you lower your door. It's probably a bad idea. Listen, long story short, we converted the cloak into a shield and extended it around your jumper. I'm standing outside right now. What? All you have to do is open your door and walk to my jumper. The shield extending around him. Clever idea, that is. The grapple hook won't work because McKay's jumper is too heavy now. What a relief, eh? Surely that headset waterlogged. Well, yeah, you would have thought that would still be going, would you really? But, I mean, ultimately, though, even if they couldn't contact him, he'd, he'd ultimately hear that banging on the door, wouldn't he? And then again, he might think that's an hallucination. Well, that's it. Can he trust his senses? What's he got to lose? Exactly, yeah. Flip side, what's he got to lose, you know? By opening the door. What if it's another one of my hallucinations? What if it's the, it's the pessimist me and just wants it all over with? You heard the shield come on. No, but I hear you. Okay. What's the hold-up? We need to do this sooner rather than later. The shield ain't gonna hold forever. You're minutes away from hypothermia. I can't tell what's real and what's not. Rodney, they're here. They did it. <laughs> and once again, we get... This is not gonna be an easy test just to open the door. Oh, okay. Better stand back. I've taken a lot of water. Come on, as Phil says, you ain't got much of a choice at this point. Oh, no, I mean, that's it. Sit there for another three minutes or something. Or just have a go. Got to be done, Rodney. You know it has. But when they were planning this out, they had a problem that they couldn't raise the jumper fast enough in the pool to make it give an accurate representation of the water rushing out. Right. This is why they had to think of a reason why McKay had to be on the floor. Gotcha, yeah. Failure of this forces him down to the emergency handle, which for some reason is at the bottom of the jumper. Mm. And now when he opens the door, they speed up the film a bit, as you see the bubbles are rushing towards yeah. the surface, and it looks like water is gushing out, whereas it was going quite slowly. Ah, another little nice little trick. Yeah. I will be. Where's Grip? He was in there. All right, let's get you home. No, I need to decompress. Carter told me to increase the pressure. Carter? I mean, I did. I, did. I told myself. And this is the third jumper they had. Wow. For a bottle show, yeah. they used three jumpers. <laughs> There's quite a bit in it, actually. Oh, so I won't get to eat me today. That's the reason we found you. Really? I must thought we lost you. Oh, look at yeah, that. That was good, yeah. David Attenborough would be proud of that shot, <laughs> wouldn't he? Yeah, they said that was a practical shot. Yeah. <laughs> they borrowed the whale the and put it in the pool and filmed it. <laughs> <laughs> and surprisingly, did come under budget. Yeah. You owe that whale your life, McKay. Don't you forget it. And Tam as well, of course. The door closes, the music dwells up a bit more, happy ending. Oh, saved again. Our heroes live to fight <laughs> another day. Yeah, poor old Griffin, though. Well, he, no, yeah, exactly. He died well, but he still died. Yeah, he still died, yeah. He went down, I'm afraid. Blame <laughs> him for saying tomato wrong. I lost interest in him after that. 
But yeah, that was, I mean, that was a brilliant episode, I think, you know, in its own way. I mean, there's so many great episodes with all sorts of battles and sort of thing, but they're good episodes in their own way, you know. It was a nice story. Mm. It was well filmed. I don't think you can watch Atlantis and not like McKay. You've got to. If, if you don't like McKay, I don't think you can watch Atlantis. Well, he is the show, isn't he, really? Yeah, yeah. so having an episode focused on him pretty much totally, you know, it's pretty much of a no-brainer. Yeah, I think, like you say, you've got to like him. He's a likeable guy. I mean, he's got his idiosyncrasies and that, but, you know, he's, he's a brilliantly written character, really. Brilliant invention. He puts him across so well. That's another great thing. You know, really acts him out well. Yeah. They all play the part well in that, though, I think. Oh, they do, yeah. One of the great mysteries that MGM and sci-fi weren't willing to uh, fund the sixth season. Mm. You know, the people behind Stargate didn't want to run Universe and Atlantis. Yeah. Because running SG-1 and Atlantis was taxing for the uh, production. Mm. Like you say, they left it in a bit of a cliffhanger, really, didn't they? It was all ready for what happened next on Atlantis, and it never happened. We are a few years away from that. Though. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Plenty of time to go yet. Yeah. Plenty more adventures and near deaths. No doubt Rodney will end up in many, 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 many more scrapes. Yep. No question about that at all. Jack? Daniel? Are you you? Yeah, you. What? I like the yellow ones. Never mind. Feedback for last week's episode, Stronghold, from a self-confessed all things Cliff Simon and Bob Fangirl. Missa Buckley, author of novels such as Star Attraction, Iron Haven and Tin Cat, posted on our Gatecast website the following... As a self-confessed Balt fan, Stronghold is one of my favourite episodes. It really shows how different he is to the other Gwold, and the lengths he'll go to in order to defeat the Ori. The clones, originally created to seek out a way to destroy Nubus, are now looking to form a sort of defence. If nothing else, Bal sure knows how to pitch a speech. First time I watched Stronghold, I found myself nodding, even though I knew I wasn't supposed to. But like with the replicators, sometimes the enemy of SG-1's enemy could be their friend. I do think Bol was trying to do good, though I admit he went about it in completely the wrong way. However, was there ever a right way? Bal approached SGC over the replicators and got slammed down. He has to assume any approach to the Jafar would end up the same way, if not worse. I do wonder what, if its plan had been successful, the end result would have been. Could the Ori have been defeated years before they were? I am playing devil's advocate here. Of course, he shouldn't have gotten away with brainwashing Jafar. Force is never the right solution to a problem. But still, I'm curious. I replied, Bal, the ultimate lobbyist with his manipulation behind the scenes. Although, as you say, too much of a hands-on approach. And while I think at times he has been sincere, long term he couldn't spend the next few hundred years being a big fish in a small pond. Awesome feedback, mister. Thanks very much. And now we have an email from Dan LaRock. Hey guys, I'm a little behind, but I'd like to throw out a few thoughts on the recent podcast. I'll start with Ripple Effect. I recently rewatched it and what a great episode it was. I was very happy to see they included a nerdy Sam with the glasses in it. Next, Stronghold. It seems like Sam, or especially Valor, could have used a healing device on Ferguson. There's probably a locker full of the Materia 51. Cam was a little more daring in rescuing Tilt. I figured he was heavily influenced by his interactions with Major Ferguson. Great episode nonetheless. Finally, I want to say thanks to Brad for the beautiful send-off of the Prometheus. That was awesome. Thanks, Brad. The Prometheus was a great ship. We get a better one, though. The Odyssey, which helps ease the pain of losing her. Definitely won't bring back the lives of the crew lost over Teglas. Those people were so short-sighted and unwilling to listen to reason in Icon. 
Now add the aura in and it gets even worse. Looking forward to Grace Under Pressure, also a great Atlantis episode. Loved Sam's appearance in this one and Rodney was excellent in it as well. Thanks for the show as always guys. P.S. Sorry no audio. It's been cold up here and the heater broke out in my tool shed where it's nice and quiet. That's my excuse anyway. Thanks Dan, love the feedback in any form and yes, praise to Brad for the Prometheus segment although I should have held it back after we covered Ethon. He's revised it so it may get included again. That's it for the feedback, I've got some content from Brad which will be included in later shows so huge thanks to everyone that talked Stargate with us this week. If you want to get in touch with us then please do so. Here's how. You can send us an email via gatecastpodcast at gmail.com or use the contact form on gatecast.co.uk. We are also on Facebook and Google+. Do a search for Gatecast. And we are on Twitter, at TheGatecast, which is one word. We can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Internet Radio under Gatecast, of our general Stargate search. And any reviews and ratings on those two sites will help us enormously. Right then, that was Grace Under Pressure. Next week, we return to Stargate SG-1 for the episode Ethon. I hope you can join us for that. So, Phil, you enjoyed that episode? I did, I did. It was one of my favourites, and I enjoyed going through it, and it was great hearing some of the trivia and the, some of the facts and, and that behind it from your good self. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was good. I hope everybody else did. I think they will. Good. Until the next time. Hopefully, we'll get you back yeah, on. Yes, hopefully, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll put our heads together and pick another one at some point yeah we've still got plenty to go oh yeah we're not we're not short are we yeah we're not getting (laughs) down to the bottom of the barrel by any means are we right then folks that was grace under pressure next week ethon i hope you can join us for that but until then i've been mike and i've been phil take care everybody and we will see you next week bye 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 now you've been listening to the gatecast hosted by alan and mike join us at gatecast.co.uk Stargate forever. Yeah.